Welcome to the podcast of data and analytic in business. We will learn from the leading industry experts using data and analytics to solve the problems and create values in practice. We will also learn where the industry is heading to and how data and analytics will shape the industry in the future. Most importantly, how they are preparing their business for digital transformation and disruption in the future. I'm your host, Jason Tan, and thank you for listening. In this episode, we have got Sharara Aksri. She is the CEO and the founder for the Center of Applied Data Science, which is ASEAN first and only one-stop data science institute. She is transforming the picture of big data in Asia and all over the world. We will learn and hear about how she is bringing data science and introducing data science to ASEAN and the organization in the ASEAN region. Especially, she will talk about how she is training the next generation of the data scientists outside of the academy and within the organization. She is particularly thoughtful in terms of how to bring the younger and the next generation and make sure they are ready for the new era of the digital economy. I would suggest you have a listen to my interview with Sha and see how you can learn from her about transforming your workforce and give them a career to become data scientists and help transforming your organization. Thank you, Sha, for joining us. Finally, it has been a little while since we last chat and uh, it'll be great to chat with you about what is happening with the data science in Asia, especially in Malaysia. I suppose my first question is, how do you manage your busy life in running successful company in Malaysia? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for connecting and, and requesting to do this. I think I always take great pleasure in doing this this kind of uh, you know sessions to create awareness uh, not only on data science uh, women you know doing game-changing things I always take pride in talking about it to encourage more people to do it so coming to your question about uh, you know how do I manage my life I think this is something I always talk about and I think Jason you being an entrepreneur would be the same because this is what I really enjoy love like doing. So for me, if you would call it, and I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's as simple as a hobby, but I guess if you love what you're doing, you don't actually take it as you know, a job or a chore. So it's interesting that I first read your question, like, you know, how you manage your busy life. I, I go like, you know, if you like what you do, you'll just figure it, you'll figure it out. And I guess on a daily basis, it's always a, um, I call it, uh, I, I'm very much into using extended help. <laughs> like, you know, um, parents, I, I'm leeching on my parents to help me to be there. And although I got a helper, you know, for my kids, my team is fantastic in helping me schedule stuff because I'm very bad at scheduling because I want to be everywhere, every time and accessible. So I guess I'm one of the few people I'm not ashamed to say that I, in order to actually make this work, I'm not ashamed to ask help including my children's friends mom okay <laughs> that's good i think a different analogy that sometimes i use is uh, when you wake up in the morning do you actually want to go back to the office do you look forward to work it looks like you certainly do yeah yeah so so it's it's funny right uh, i think my team will say the same thing here the people go like oh god it's friday and we don't think about it because we're going like What's next? Mm. And, 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 and I, I don't say that with pride because I think one of the reminders my husband had to do that with me is you've got to st- 
stop and smell the rose. Mm. Right? Because it's always what's next for us and it's always something exciting. The dark side is you stop to celebrate success or you stop, you don't stop to sit down and just take a breather before you get on the next or even if the next is worth looking at. And it's exciting and it's annoying when people go like, oh, you know, it's Monday, I have to go to work. And me and my team are talking on a Saturday or, you know, Shafia was away and after asking her things, then I say, are you on leave? And then she goes, yes, Shah. And I'm like, that's you know, cute. because it's, mm. it's seamless. Mm. But that I would like, and, and in my case, I really enjoy and it's not a Monday morning. It's like sometimes you feel like it's not, we're not fast enough. Mm. or quick enough, you know what I mean? And sometimes you just have to take the break to say, like, let's slow down. So, yeah. Good. Now, I'm going to jump but, but in. I have been in the position in the very early days of my life. Thank God it's Friday. Shit, it's morning. It's Monday. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to move around the question a little bit. So, for the audience who are not familiar with the Center of Applied Data Science could you please tell them a little bit more about CATS? Okay. So CATS was, you know, originated with a thought in summer 2013, 2014, very early on. Uh, and the official name, I think we, we came about summer 2015. It wasn't meant to be a education center to begin off with. That's how we started. But I had great, great ambitions about, you know, building a business that would create case apps for analytics, you know, because I come from a telco background. Very, very soon, we realized that we didn't have enough talent to actually grow the company. And we looked everywhere and then we decided that if you cannot get them, let's make them. Okay, so we addressed we addressed a root problem that was very close to our heart, and it was also a national issue. And that's how Center of Applied Data Science started. Now we call it just you know CATS. And today, fast forward that I mean we 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 when when we did it, we went and looked for syllabus that would actually turn out data scientists. So we looked out. We stopped to think where did all this begin, and it was in the states. US, so we went down to US. Uh, we took this curriculum from the data incubator, which is a Cornell Tech grant that was given to Dr. Michael Lee to, to build this. Then we customized it to our education system in ASEAN. And then we expanded it from a data science program to all the skills that's required to be to become a data professional, because data scientists would be just a pinnacle of a whole realm of people that you need to get the job done, right? Data engineers, data analysts, data visualization, you know, mathematicians writing models. So then we had another challenge, having all these data scientists put in a company. Uh, companies did not, we, we realized companies did not have a strategy how to become a data-driven organization. Everybody had a strategy how you become an IT, you know, how you set up IT, how you go digital. Yeah. But what does that even mean? People did not have an idea for that. And then we realized that, you know, who would listen to us? Well, we are cats. We are, we, are a, we are a startup then, you know, ambitious mm. startup. So who would they listen to? And we're talking about big companies here, right? We're talking Correct. about big oil and gas, we're talking about huge investor companies, you know. And then we decided that, you know, oh, you know, Howard has a very good program. Let's reach out to Howard and see if they would run a program here that will educate the C-suites. And you got to know Howard is 400 plus years old. They're older than 
the constitution. So uh, Harvard doesn't go anywhere, you know, you have to go to Harvard. But, uh, you know, we managed to bring them down in, in I think, early 2015. Mm-hmm. And, and then they ran four cohorts. We managed to get the sea levels to adapt what is data driven, what is the risk, what is the advantage of doing it. It was not an option not to do it, right? Now we can say, right, in the beginning, it was a hype. Yeah, People are afraid mm. the hype that would be So that's how CATS started off. Today, cats. Uh, the industry has created a, a quadrant for cats where we are the one of the. We are we are basically a human capital transformation company that specifically works with business uh, and and it has to be sustainable for them. So that's our specialty, yeah. Right. So I know you were doing the engineering for the telco for around fifteen years before you start cat. Is that how you get into the field of data science uh, by solving your own needs? So more so, right? A lot of people assume that because I'm an engineer, data science was was like a next step. In, in a way, it's it's the industry that got us evolved because we were working with a lot of telcos and a huge amount of data. These are the two industries that had really made data, right? One is the FSI, the other one is the telecommunication industry. And in the past, being a telco engineer, all telcos worried about was, do I, how long does it take to set up a call? Do I drop a call? Do you have problem having data package? Not, not you know, mm. um, you know, dropping your internet connection. You know, that's all they worried about. Mm. But come 2013, 2014, that wasn't the issue anymore. Why am I losing my customers to company B? I have a better drop call rate, I have a better throughput, but I'm still losing. So then that's when big data came into play, that what are people saying in social media? How do you even process, you know, the UCLA data, the huge amount of data, how do you even process that? Then I can see what are the issues that people are having. So it moved away from a a network-based analytics to consumer-based analytics, which then the the data size and the volume has changed. So we thought ourselves R and Python at that time, and my employee 001, sounds like James Bond, Dr. Stam, was (laughs) the one who actually, you know, started doing this. And that's when we realized, oh my God, there's a huge potential here. And, And then back to your earlier question, we realized very quickly, we couldn't grow the company because we didn't have really made talent around. Right. So it seems like it, to some extent, it was more of the market competition forcing Italco to start looking at different ways of continuing and generating their revenue. And they will have to turn into data science and in in order to understand the customer, using the customer analytic to to understand the customer and uh, continue to, to bring more revenue into the company. Hey. Yeah, to, to, to stay ahead of the competition, right? When, when you already have a market cap, and then you're seeing, uh, you know, your cup, cup market cap is diminishing, and then you're, you're bringing down the pricing, and yet, you know, so what what do consumers want? Mm. And there's no more this, this, this sending out questionnaires, you know, because social media is so strong. Yeah. I wanted to go back to the past a little bit when you were trying to introduce the data science into the business in ASEAN. What was the most challenging aspect that you were facing at that time? Especially people were concerning that it would be a hike and people were still trying to get 
familiar and understanding what the whole data science is about, especially when no one else was doing it at that point of time in the market. The biggest challenge was the hippo syndrome, right? The highest paid person in the in the room kind of thing that, you know, uh, companies that's been there for so many years have doing so well. Uh, you know, you don't fix what's not broken, correct? Mm. Uh, did not see a need for this at all because they were not being hurt. But now, right, the disruption came so quickly, so unexpectedly, although you've been warned. At that time, getting people to, to when you're doing so well and you're telling people that bad things are going to happen, people are not going to see. So getting C-levels in big companies to understand the, the disruption took a while. And, and it was the same with our education system too. I spoke to vice chancellors and people going like, Shah, are you sure or not? This is not another hive. You know, we don't see companies uh, recruiting or asking for these skills. So we train them. And what if they don't get a job? All these questions were what I constantly faced the first one and a half years, I must say. Mm. How did you resolve that problem that you were facing so, where so people were questioning? A lot of money, putting on a gut feeling that this is going to happen. I think one of the biggest lessons in this part of the world was the crash in the oil and gas, right? Suddenly the natural resources were, were being hit and from 170 billion revenues, companies were looking at 60 million revenue and all businesses. So you, you need to understand and what I like about ASEAN is we have all traditional businesses that are highly successful for the longest. We're talking about two generations, three generations, right? And then they were facing uh, disruptions from, like we're talking about taxis, you know, now now also with the banks, right? Mm. You have fintech, e-wallets, and microloans. Yep. And, and when that is threatened, people start... Uh, understanding, you know, the, the importance of it. But more so, one of the things that we play, I think, very crucially having Harvard on board is not asking them to be another Alibaba or another Grab. Trying to get companies to see that with your existing traditional business model, how can you adapt this and, and create your own business model that will stay relevant? So there can be only one Alibaba, there can only be one Facebook. And, and to tell people disruption is happening, uh, that the first pushback you get like, yeah, but I cannot be Facebook, I cannot be Alibaba. But that's not the point, right? Mm. Once you go digital, once you have data, then the strategy is taken away from you because you will see new uh, data and information that allow you to do new business models that you haven't seen before. And that changed. That is a really good point. And uh, I think a lot of time that the company were facing is they were trying to completely transform. But the reality is not, it doesn't have to be completely transformed themselves, but rather is more about transforming into a digital channel. And through that, the collection of the data only become possible. And then it will only further widen and create more opportunity and create more business model because of the data that is available. I do want to ask though, how is CATS different to other consulting companies like Accenture or DXC or IBM or maybe other consulting company in Asia? So good point. Uh, we, aren't, we aren't a consulting company like them. What we do is actually totally different. Our, our biggest service is to go into a company. So, so, so 
companies have decided, right? I've, I'm, I'm a convert. I have to make this transformation. I need to become a data-driven organization. Mm. So how do I do it? Where do I begin? That's the key questions that we have. A lot of them have a strategy that, okay, I'm going to have a three-year infra change. So I get the IBMs, I get the Essentials to come in and do it. So that's one part of the whole transformation, right? What happens once I've done that? My old workforce still does what they do and the way they know best. Okay, now I've got a new system in and the whole company, the heart of the company is going to use this. How do I transform? So in the past, uh, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too, we used to tell people, let's go in and set up a data science team, you know, like a BI team and upgrade them. And fast forward two years, we realized that having a fantastic data science, time, uh, science team in a company is like having, uh, you know, it's like a car that has a Ferrari engine and a body of a Datsun. So, so we work on a full transformation from sea levels, sitting down and brainstorming three to five transformation or case that they want to build within the company. Because, you know, some of the articles I wrote that 80% of data science project fails because everybody wants to do it without a, a focus of what keeps you awake at night, right? Then, then we built this data-driven model, which is pending uh, pattern. And, and it talks about all the different elements in the company you need to look at, talent, skills, infra, strategy, you know, technology that you have in place or you have to upgrade, all these elements that the C-levels have to sit down and think this is what we're going to do. But the one thing that will never go away and always has to be the first priority is how do I transform my talent to adapt into this? I agree. Yep. 54% World Economic Forum said 54% of a, a of, in, in a organization needs to be upskilled and transformed. 54% and the rest of it, it will be automated or you get fresh people in, right? And that's the reality. So then where do I begin? Who are the people do I identify? Then it becomes a whole different, uh, you know, this is like, you know, you've got the Ferrari engine, now you have to replace the tire, you replace the body, you have to replace the roof. You've got to figure out where do you begin? How do you do that? And how do you do so that? So we mm -hmm. part in that, yeah. So we actually work on the transformation on businesses to make sure it's sustainable, but our focus is highly on human capital. I think that you guys are doing a really smart and a great job in there. Um, a lot of time people, when it comes to the data science, often you hear that people say, I'll bring in their PhD, I'll bring in the, the, uh, the smartest guy in, in the world, in the company. But the reality is, I, I think that whoever that you bring in to the table to solve the problem, they need to understand the business and they need to understand the system really well enough before they apply the data science skill. And on that regard, by bringing the people who are already in there using your framework and train them to become the, the data scientists is really a smart way in solving the problem and transforming the talent within the organization and also help them to build a career. How, I suppose the question I have for you then is how much of the effort required to, to transform this assisting employee within the organization and using the skills that they already got, but upskill them to become data scientists? That's a very important question, right? Because um, 
your point was spot on about bringing a, a, an external data scientist so they can solve the world hunger, right? That's the perception. <laughs> Correct. And and how we've been doing this for with I, I always jokingly say industry 2.0 and 3.0 because we had 50 years of, of experience to do that. What's happening now with industry 4.0 is it's like the very beginning of internet. Right, people are trying to understand how does this internet help us? How does you know? So industry industry 4.0 revolutionizes everything. So to expect a smart person to just to come into business without the domain expertise has has hurt a lot of companies because talent is this this talent is scarce, right? It's difficult to get, and then you you tend to poach from somewhere else and you bring them on board. And they don't know your, they have the skills, but they don't know your domain. So it took us, it took us about a year, two years to, to understand, wait, hold on, this is not sustainable, including for cats, right? We, we have a huge number of data scientists in the company. And even we, we have a no poaching policy that we have self kind of infused that, that policy within ourselves because we, we go like that, that doesn't help, but that doesn't help the ecosystem. It doesn't help the business ecosystem. So then we figured out the only the only way for any business to be sustainable is to upskill their own domain expertise and that keeps job in place. It, it, there's, there's no way out. It's not an option. Before these people thought that was an option, correct? Because uh, and and then when when they start doing that, it becomes really important to understand why they're doing it. Now, to answer your question, like, you know, how long it takes. Uh, so I was talking about this company that was doing like a transformation for uh, one and a half years. So we call it the top down approach while they got the C-levels and the managers to understand what is strategy, how what is a data strategy, how can it help the business, how can it optimize process, new business models. While they were doing that, we also worked with them to get the, the the, you know, the down approach that all, all the people in the company understood the legal what is data. So getting them educated means there's a need for them to work on it and need for them to share data. The biggest challenge in most companies you have is people don't like to share data. And part of that is becoming a data-driven means I put, could potentially lose my job. And when people have fear, they don't share things. So this, this particular company worked with us on a top-down approach. And of course, everything else, like, you know, expected, right? Business process improvement, new business model, everything happened. But what shocked us most was, this is an unexpected part of it, is they have had the highest employee engagement index ever globally. So, so what has happened is the engagement with the, with the, with the, with the team has created this distrust about career growth, like what you mentioned earlier, uh, about staying relevant and staying engaged to see that the business is growing with the people to do it. Mm. And, and that was very unexpected for us to, to see that outcome that we didn't realize. Something so techy could actually bring out the soft part of, of the company. So now that the MBA has made this part of their core pillars that they have to do analytics as part of their core pillars for the growth of the company. That's great to hear. So I presume what you were describing earlier is the solution offered by CATS, which is called a talent spy. Yes. Can you please share with us some of the success story of the okay. talent spy? I would like, and I would like exactly to brag right. and say we knew what we were we were doing with talent spy, but honestly, talent spy was was created out of laziness. 
So, so in, in the beginning, when, when we were conducting classes, our classes are long uh-huh. and hard, right? You know how data, data science yeah. uh, courses could be. So we want to minimize dropouts. So we created this uh, software that will identify talents and then, you know, then they could, could stay on. So eventually what happened is uh, companies started calling us and said, like, could you, could you use this talents by, could you come over and verify who are the talents that we could immediately upskill? Okay, so Talentspy became a, a product from there onwards where we would go in, we would identify, uh, we would put them on a learning pathway so who could potentially be a data scientist, data engineer, data analyst, what are the skills, where are the gaps, what are the trainings they need to be, and that helped companies to immediately bet on who are the ones that they can quickly upscale while they wait for the unicorns to be hired, right? Then, then after that, they started using uh, TalentSpy for hiring. And the other part is we personally used it in the company for hiring and for fresh grads. So we almost have, you know, for the past four years, we've been training about, I don't know, 2,000 over data fresh grads who applied for a program, a free program that we run. And about, you know, I think we have got 600 graduates. I think we, we literally have two dropouts. Oh, wow. And yeah, exactly. So so we added in, after the first year, we added in something we call smart skills. So we realized people are very good technically, but sometimes they, they kind of lack the, uh, the ability to stand in front of a CEO and articulate the thoughts, yeah? So we put in um, technical people also can be very set in their ways. Uh, and in data science, that's very crucial not to have that because you need to be agile. So we added on uh, smart skills. We worked with, with a professor, a, a renowned professor on human uh, behavioral science. And we found out that they don't have behavioral smart skills for you know data science world. And we added in and, and the success got even better. I so that's how Talents came, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that prompted me to think when I was researching about cats and yourself is it got me thinking that in this age of the online learning, do you think we will still ask the candidate for their university degree in the future? <laughs> do you think one can self-learn the data science? And what would be the acceptance in the industry? Because t- to me, technically, I think a lot of the works or a lot of the skills that I have got or the people that I see who are really good at is they are really working, learning that at the workplace. So that is how I come to think about that. What, what is your thought on that? Okay, so, so it's, it's a question even for our kids, right? Five out of 10 jobs in the future hasn't been created. So how, how does you know, university prepare you for the future? This is, a, this is an important question, I feel, and I, I, I could be controversial in saying this. A lot of people are, you know, working in Google and Google say, I don't need a degree and all that. But I tell, I tell kids to stay in school and finish up whatever degree. For me, degree is a degree. Degree doesn't guarantee you a job. That's a fact. But having a degree prepares you to get to a workforce. So data science skills should not be only embedded in engineering or IT or maths, as you, as you see, right? We are working with the university because it's 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 across the board, right? It's in economics, it's in legal, it's in science, it's in pharmaceutical, right? Medicinal. So mm. it's not about setting up an IT department and they will take care of it. And I, I clearly say, I used to say four years ago, teachers 
might lose their job because computers do a better job in teaching and doctors might lose the job because anything that you can memorize, a computer can do better and faster and more accurate. But now I've changed my, 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 my way of thinking and I say to people that teachers who don't work with technology are the ones who lose the job. Doctors who don't work with technology are the ones who's going to lose their job, right? Because degree is important for, it's, 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 it doesn't guarantee a job. It's another skill like I've learned piano, I've learned swimming, right? I can, I can go art, I can, I can paint. I believe you and I went for art tuition when we were younger, right? As an Asian family. But all these adds to the advantage on how you're going to, how you're going to um, perform later in, in, at work. So I, my take is that. Right. So in one of your interviews... You talk about the Google who don't have the degree, the people who get hired. You're that good. You don't have to apply for a job. People will come after you anyways. <laughs> and that's just a small percentage of them. That I agree. So in one of your interviews, you touch on the topic that students are separated into different streams like science versus economic in high school for... Yes some of the audience who are not familiar with this, this is probably happening more in some of the Asian, ASEAN country, um, but not necessarily in in uh, American system. Now, you yeah. believe that is not quite the right way to do, which I really agree because I think it imposes an invisible ceiling to these young people. It really limits them to imagine what they can achieve. So because of that, you champion about having analytic as part of the course in every faculty. My question yeah. is, could you please provide us some update on the progress and what other challenges you face? So historically, right, in the ASEAN world, being in a science stream, which concentrates maths and, and science, physics, it's, it's supposed to elevate you to a high income nation. I think along the line, we forget the, the whole great thing about data science is, is art meets science. This is something new to people. And, and just because you're good in maths doesn't mean you're not good being creative. And we tend to string that out. So data science has no biasness. <laughs> so that helps. Uh, but the other point that's really important is it's used in every single vertical. So we, worked, we are working with universities. Now universities have embraced. It took a while. It's a lot of challenges because the younger ones are the one, the younger lecturers, the younger professors, the one that really see the need to it. And, and the older the university uh, it is, the harder it is because they want it to be driven by the center of the university and not by faculties. But, you know, small steps are made in order for people to see the impact. So now we started with a lot of technical faculties like IT and engineering. We have evolved to sciences which is fantastic. And then some of the universities are looking at implementing it with their accounts department and in their you know, social economy department. Uh, they started looking at that because that's very, very important. Analytics in economy is 101, right? In finance, it's 101. But people think that, oh, you know, it's IT, it's programming, it's not for me. So we have made huge progress. Not, again, fast enough, but I, I think it's fantastic that we came this far. That is great to hear. I think the next question that I have for you is probably a bit of the classic chicken and egg question. So while you are at the forefront in training more data science or data scientists in Malaysia or in ASEAN, do you think that is enough being done to educate the organization to understand the value of data science and digital in increasing value they could deliver to their customer? 
I, no doubt, no doubt it has. I think the challenge now is not about should I, uh, the challenge now is where do I begin? We have crossed the point that we have to create awareness is now how do I do this? What is the right way to do it? How can I minimize risk and expenses by doing this? So where do I begin? That's a constant conversation get from people. Mm, that's good. Before that, people have to rally people to take up the, the classes. Now it's going to be like, gosh, everybody's going to go for it. And I can't afford everybody to go for this. So uh, who do I design? How do I design? Where do I begin? Mm. That's that's the position we're in now. I, I strongly see that. Great. Now, the other question I have for you is you are a big advocate for the artificial intelligence. And in one of your interview, again, you said about the potential bias in AI due to the data provided and trained yeah. really hit the nail yeah. on the head. So yeah. especially I feel like in a multiracial country like Malaysia, an oversight such a bias could have unintended impact to the organization and society. So apart from making sure that to have, to have well-representative data for training, what else do you think we can do to address such an issue to avoid the bias in the data? Yeah, I, I think I call it uh, I call it infused biasness. Uh -huh. So you know, data clearly shows not just saying, right? Uh, data just clearly shows that a female recruiter has four times chances of proposing female candidates to a company. Mm. It's just unconscious, right? Uh, so, so we, 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 you know, even in our company, in our interview process, you know, we have talent spy, which has no color, no skin, no age, right? Um, I've got to, I've got to infuse our human capital. Have to infuse biasness about uh, a higher ranking for female candidates, higher ranking for local candidates. You know, you've got to start conscious biasness. I call it. You have to put that in, and I, I feel we shouldn't apologize for doing it. Because like you said, the environment that we're in, you know, trust on data is so important, but questioning the data is also very important. So with AI, uh, you know, we, we have heard many, you know, scary stories, right? You know, monkey see, monkey do. So AI learns from the data that, that's out in the internet. And if there's constant hatred on a certain racial profiling, that's why it will take. That is why it's important for us to infuse knowledgeable biasness into that. It's very important. And I, I shamelessly do it. I suppose... Because you never have a female data scientist in my team. <laughs> right? Because the data will only pick up, you know, without color and uh, anything, right? Data will only pick up the highest ranking person and sometimes who put their heart out. Yeah, that's, that's, and, a, that's a good point. Yeah. I agree. I think, yeah. I think to some extent that level of the control is necessary in order to make sure that train the, the data for the AI. Um, exactly. It has to be the right person for the right job, right? Mm. But at the same time, the data needs to have diversity. Data mm. needs to have global, global you know, uh, view on it. So if you put the data on just a spectrum, then that's what it's going to become. And people need to be aware that's what AI could do if that's the data that's provided. So it sounds like what you are suggesting is more about 
putting certain control into the data, but rather than letting the data to be trained wildly <laughs> without any control at all, would that be the right way yeah. to summarize? Yeah, like like being a parent, right? I mean, you, you got to do a parental guidance with the kid, the kids, and and there will be a lot of mistakes. But then you learn from it, and you got to rectify it, and not just let the mistakes be mistakes. Mm. Okay, cool. That's that's really good. Yeah. I, I I got really. Really good answer. I think I got me thinking quite a bit. Um, so my other question for you is again center a little bit more about ASEAN and, and Malaysia. Is that I suppose in the mid of the last century, the globalization brought the manufacturing to Malaysia, and in my personal view, I think Malaysia didn't leverage enough the wave to build enough intellectual capital for transitioning out to this labor-intensive-based economy and be ready for the next subsequent phase of the economy. I suppose the question I have for you is then, in this era of digital economy, how should Malaysia position itself? Huh, you know, it's 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 an exciting question. I, I guess in some of the ways, uh, you and I cannot move away from the question behind our, you know, the back of our head is about the brain drain, right? Mm. Malaysia has the highest brain drain yep. uh, in art. And and uh, an example of that, an example who came back. And, and that's partially true about your thoughts that you mentioned earlier. So the challenge I face, the good and the bad, when, when, when we started in 2014, 2015, when I went to Harvard Business School to talk about our ambition to make Malaysia the hub for analytics, mm. it shocked us that the Harvard professors were like, oh my God, like, no, you guys are not far behind the states. You know, it, it shocked me because same, same, probably a feel and not so much about data that we are so far behind. The challenge about we wanting to do this and we, we, we have very early uh, adopters in this part of the world. Uh, we have great ideas, but I think what happens is keeping the momentum going because of the opportunity and the, and the talent not being here. So, you know, we, we've lo- we, we, we missed the opportunity with some of the unicorns that were started here for the same reason, right? You know, we have a lot of early adopters, great ideas, momentum to, to keep it going is what, you know, frustrates me that we fizzle out because we, we, uh, talent from this part of the world is wanted everywhere else. Uh, so, so I do think that we need to have a strategy that produces talents and keeps the talents. The only way you're going to do that is uh, ensuring that it's a nest for innovation and high tech. And we, it's a chicken and egg story, exactly what you said, right? When I first started this, when I told universities, please create data scientists in every faculty, and they go like, oh, but industry is not asking, so I don't want to create kids that cannot be employed. We have to stop doing that. We just have to make sure that we have great talent where and a great economy that will allow innovation internally, and we should stop waiting for investors to come in and only that. What happens when the investors close? Then the talent doesn't have a job, right? So, mm. so all these great investors go where great talents are and what kind of investors you're going to attract depends on what kind of talents you produce. So if you want to become high, uh, what do you call it, income, we want to be high economy, we want our GD to go, go up, then we have to concentrate on that talent so we attract the right investors or we become the innovation hub here. And I think along the line, somewhere along the line, we miss that point. We still like what you say in the past, oh, we have this investor, we need this talent. And then the moment that, because it's a, it's a disruptive industry 4.0, it means 
a lot of business might not stay relevant, right? Then mm. what happens to that talent that we train to serve that particular industry? Yeah. That's, that's a very, very crucial uh, thought process every government in every country needs to keep uh, thinking because that's what's going to change with industry 4.0. I, to some extent, I still think that every government has their own role to play. I'm not suggesting that they should interrupt and intervene the economy in a very heavy-handed way. But I think setting the right policy and setting the right direction for people to follow will have its role to play. Because this cannot be done just by private sectors or universities. Absolutely. This is one era of change because, because people are going to lose jobs. Companies are going to require more talent on data analytics and AI than any time before we had. And that cannot be just done by private sector or just universities alone. So this is where all the three has to come together. I agree. Completely agree. Because, because we also have to accept the fact that there's going to be a certain uh, X amount of people that can never be upskilled. Mm. We've got to accept that. Now, what will happen to that? Correct. So this this is not industry 2.0 where everybody has to, you know, you're on your own and you've got to figure this out because this is going to change the whole livelihood of everybody. And, uh, I, you know, we, we talk about this, right? school education system needs to now adopt this industry 4.0 data analytics AI, correct? You and I, as, 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 as an employee, need to upskill to stay relevant for the changes. Businesses have to look at, oh gosh, how do I stay relevant? So can you see the whole ecosystem being affected? Mm. So it's not, it's, not, it's not just one transformation that's going to go away. It's going to be a whole generation of livelihood that's that's exciting exciting moments i feel that we're going to make these changes which we have not known in the past 25 years that is right on the point i i hope you will have less challenges and i i wish you success in making more inroad in in that and uh, help malaysia to to be part of the digital economy i suppose the next question i have for you is uh what is the next step for cats <laughs> an ambitious one uh-huh. um uh, I, I, you know, because we, we, our, our vision and mission is to ensure businesses are in this journey of data analytics, data analytics and AI, they need to have a sustainable business, correct? And the biggest impact and the biggest cost has now become not only on the infra, it's the human capital. One is not being able to get them. Secondly, when you get them, they're expensive. And then upskilling, you know, 54% of your workforce is going to be extremely, extremely expensive, right? So we think that ASEAN is an untapped uh, market for talent. You know, we are 600 million in uh, population. We are $1.3 trillion GDP. 50% of the talent pool is 35 years old and below. So, and we have the same culture. We have a good education system. So what we want to do is we are building a platform with, along with Talent Spy to connect all these data analytics and AI talent for ASEAN, for the ASEAN market. So that's what we think ultimately we want to do, create a web in ASEAN for ASEAN to become the AI, uh, the data analytics and AI talent for for the market here so that businesses can be sustainable and tap on this talent. I feel like it could be widened though, especially from the cultural and the language perspective. The talent in, in ASEAN can speak most of the major language in the world 
and and the, they and it's, it is their mother tongue as well. And with the right skill set and the right education, which they already have, they could suddenly be leveraged to be connected to the rest of the world, but rather just in ASEAN. The biggest and the most expensive thing that happens to any company is having the wrong hire, especially in data analytics and AI. Mm. So, so, yeah. so thank you for that uh, confirmation <laughs> that probably we are, we are doing the right thing on the ASEAN. <laughs> That's great. So what is your advice? I know you are a big advocate for the women in IT and women in data science. What was your advice for women to get into the technology and data science? Perhaps why should they consider data science as their career choice? I, I you know, interestingly, um, I used to say that, and now I just tell women to stay in the workforce. Uh, because now with data science and uh, data analytics, uh, there's no biasness because everybody is affected by it, mm. right? More so women, because women in ASEAN tend to do the clerical part of it, the administrative part of it, which now it's all digitized and automated, right? So it's important that they don't go and say, oh, it's, it's science, it's data analytics, it's not for me. Like we just talked about, it's in economics, it's in law, it's in, you know, it's in social settings, uh, you know, uh, looking at women and children data. So it's everywhere. So it's not something that, it's not a choice anymore. Lah. Like women have to say, oh, this is not for me and this is for me. It's, it's like Excel, it's another skill they've got to, they have to take on. Great, great answer. And stay in the workforce, that's all I say. I don't care what you do, just stay in the workforce. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna close this interview with my usual question, which is, what is one book that you would give it to your younger self, and why these books? That's that was very hard yesterday when I when I saw that question, right? Because I I do read a lot, and and a lot of the time I go like, oh my god, like you know, I wish I had this sooner. Uh-huh. But I've realized along the line that if I got some books much sooner, I'm not in the phase to understand it. Okay, so. This was one hard question, but I've gone down to one book that I read last year, and I'm going to talk about this from an entrepreneur point of view. This book is called um, The Messy The Messy Middle. Okay, it's about you know you, you always hear about successes of a company, right? Mm-hmm. A, and then you hear the Z mm-hmm. or the failure A and the Z. This company did this, and now they are worth one billion. Uh, this company tried to do this and they failed, okay? But nobody talks about the journey, what has happened in between. And this particular book, so as I was and am still growing the company, um, a lot of things we, you know, you're an entrepreneur, and, and it's a lot of self-doubt, a lot of questioning, a lot of learning on, on the fly, right? I have to learn fine, I'm an engineer, if I have to say, correct? I have to learn human capital, I have to learn how to do talent, I have to learn how to understand finance. Everything I have to do is on the fly. That's just tactical stuff, correct? Yeah. And and what works in paper might not work in, in, in practical. So this book uh, amazingly uh, articulates what happens in that journey. And for us entrepreneurs, it's very lonely. And this book kind of, if, if I, I wish I'd got this book like, you know, much, much sooner because it kind of consoles you knowing that, you know, you're not going to get everything right. People tell you that, we know that, but you know, there are many, many nights you sit down and think that if I could have done things differently, or I wish I knew this better, right? And I think this is one of my favorite books that I have to mention. 
I do agree that sometimes reading the same book again um, five or ten years later do allow me to have a different interpretation of what the content has got to tell me. Though. So uh, this, this book, I mean, good to great, right? I, uh-huh. I read that is one of the you know early early books that I read when I started the company. I didn't resonate with that. I'm like, okay, everybody says this book is great. I I don't get it. Now it makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right, because that's that's the phase that we 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 have to go through, and you go like, aha! Now I know what this means. So you're spot on about that. That's correct. It, the reading book is certainly interesting. That sometimes the life experience does come with a different interpretation. Uh, and and some, some people say sometimes certain things are too soon for you. And and I always when I mentor people, I I always try to gauge which phase are they in their business mm. or even their thought process. Mm. Then only then you can give the, the apt uh, feedback, right? <laughs> I agree. Thank you so much, um, Shah, for coming on to the interview. I will chat with you to get the, the order of this book later and the link to, uh, to this book later yeah. so that I can share with the uh, audience and the listener as well. And finally, once again, thank you so much for sharing um, your knowledge and the journey and also what is happening in ASEAN market. And uh, I wish you all the success with the cats. I am really looking forward to learn more about it. And I, I, I wish uh, we should connect uh, when I visit Malaysia in the future. For sure. Thank you, Jason, for having me. Um, it's an honor, I guess, to be able to talk about this with you. And I think we need more people out there doing what you do. I should have you do more of this. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.